Good morning, church. Today's reading is on page 90 in the church Bibles. It is Exodus 32, verses 1 to 35. It's titled, The Golden Calf. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the, golden, the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast, in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God, the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you? 
that you led them into such great sin. Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know, you know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any jewelry, gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughing stock to, the enemy, to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of, to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with the plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, well, it's very good to be uh, back with you this morning and lovely to be uh, back in, uh, to be looking at the book of Exodus. Our way through it. You guys are going through it a bit quicker than we are, so you're further ahead. Um, John said uh, there's a bigger chunk that we were to look at today, but he said please focus in on um, this incident with the golden calf. So that's why we're doing that this morning. So let me pray for us uh, as we start. Heavenly Father, we praise you that we have your word. Thank you, Father, that you reveal yourself to us and you give us your commands. You teach us how to live and what to do. And Father, we praise you also that you expose our hearts. You show us what we're really like and what we really need. So please help us this morning as we come to your word. Teach us and point us to Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, some Sunday services go really well, don't they? They're really good. You come away feeling buoyed up, feeling, uh, uh, and uh, you've heard from the Lord. You've been taught. Sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes those leading the services and preaching feel, yeah, that went really well. Sometimes it goes really badly. Um, but it's not likely, I think, in the history of Christ Church or Emmanuel Church to have gone this badly. <laughs> At the end of chapter 32 of Exodus, you've got 3,000 people 
killed, and a deadly plague, all because of the way they worshipped, because the Lord was not happy with them. I'm pretty sure that hasn't happened here. And yet, we're told in the New Testament that this passage has been written down for our instruction, for our learning. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, specifically about this passage in Exodus 32, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil, on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people got sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So referring specifically to this passage, Paul says, this was written down so that we would learn from them not to commit idolatry. Now in the passage, the idolatry that we see is the making of this golden calf. And you think, well, if we've got to learn from that, let's make sure we learn not to make a golden calf. And as I look around this morning, yeah, I think we've learned that one. I can't see any golden calves here. Well done. Except that, of course, idolatry is much more subtle than that. And as we look at this passage, we need to see that idolatry is something that actually all of us can be susceptible to. And so we're going to think about three things this morning. We're going to think about what is idolatry from the passage. We're going to think how does God respond to idolatry and what's the solution. So first of all, we back, there we go, idolatry. What is it? Well, I think there are two kinds of idolatry that we see in this passage. And the first is right at the start of the passage. The Israelites, as you know, if you've been here through this series, the the book of Exodus tracks through the, the history of the Israelites as they're brought out of slavery in Egypt. So they've been brought out of slavery and it was a dramatic rescue. They've been brought out of slavery, they've been brought across the wilderness and to the mountain of God where God told Moses he would bring the people. Uh, So the people of Israel brought out of slavery to the mountain. God descends on the mountain. It's very dramatic. And God speaks and speaks to them his law, his commands. This is how they're to live. It's all by grace, of course. They've been rescued first out of Egypt. And then God tells them how to live. This is the way God operates, isn't it? He rescues and then says, now as my people, this is how you're to be. This is how you're to live. And in the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the first two, first one, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second one, not to make an image and bow down to it. And in chapter 24, Moses comes back down the mountain and tells the people the law. Tells them these commandments. And everyone says, yes, we will do them. They say, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses goes back up the mountain and is told how to make the tabernacle, which is going to be the place where the Lord, uh, it represents the Lord dwelling with his people, and he's given detailed instructions what's to be in that tabernacle, that tent that they're to make. 
And John's going to talk more about that tabernacle next week because in the book of Exodus, you get the description of the tabernacle, then you get the incident of the golden calf, and then you get them making the tabernacle. And there's a great description of how they do that. John's going to deal more with the tabernacle uh, next week. But at the start of chapter 32, the scene shifts. Moses is still up the mountain. The Lord is telling him about the tabernacle. But the scene shifts from Moses up the mountain back down to the bottom of the mountain, to the people, what they're doing. And of course, it isn't good, is it? Moses has been gone for 40 days. That's quite a long time for him to be up, off up the mountain. And they're questioning what's happened to him. They get restless. And they ask Aaron to make gods for them. Verse 1. If you've got your Bible open, do have a look. Um, have a look at this verse. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So here's the first kind of idolatry. I said there, there are two kinds I think that we see here. The first is worshipping other gods. Worshipping other gods. That is replacing God, isn't it? Saying we're not going to worship the Lord anymore. We're going to worship something else. The Israelites said, Aaron, make us gods. That is more than one. We want other gods to be worshipping. And so people can do that today, can't they? By saying actually we're going to worship something else. Worship the God of another religion. Or even worshipping the Lord alongside gods of other religions. That too is idolatry. Uh, and we need to be clear on that. I've had more conversations recently, maybe with those from Hindu backgrounds or, or other backgrounds who, who think, well, yes, I, I've heard about Jesus. Maybe I can worship him alongside other gods. My, my previous religion, maybe I can put the two together. And of course, that, that's idolatry, not just replacing God, but worshipping gods alongside the Lord God. Now you might go, well, that's, that's obvious that that is idolatry, but of course, there are other ways that we can replace the Lord, that we can worship things other than the Lord. We can, of course, replace God not just with named deities from other religions, but also with other things in life. So we might worship money, or approval, or sex or family, or work, and there can be a whole host of other things that we can worship. Many of them are good things, aren't they? But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing in our lives, it becomes an idol. When a good thing becomes the thing that we worship, it's an idol for us, and lots of things can be. Oh, we see this, for instance, with work. Work is a good thing, isn't it? And it isn't wrong to enjoy your work. But when work becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. And what we see these Israelites do in worship of their idol, this golden calf, we can also do when worshipping these other things as well. So, for instance, uh, for them, worshipping this golden calf took sacrifice. Verse 2, they take off their gold earrings so that they can be melted down, so that it can be turned into this golden calf. They sacrifice. It costs them. But more than that, it doesn't just cost them. Uh, they are sacrificing things which the Lord gave to them. After all, these gold earrings, where did they come from? Well, a significant number of them probably came from when they left Egypt. 
Because as they left slavery in Egypt, the Lord made their neighbors generous towards them and gave them things like gold. So this is things the Lord has given to them, but now they're using them to sacrifice in sacrifice to make this golden calf. And we will do something similar as well in the worship of our idols, that we will sacrifice at times things the Lord has given to us in worship of that idol. So for the sake of fulfillment at work, people will sacrifice their health or their family by working long hours. For uh, the sake of worshipping sex, people will sacrifice their marriage. Or for the God of approval, we will sacrifice truth and integrity. For the sake of an idol, people will sacrifice good things, good things God has given to them. But do you notice also, not just that they sacrifice, but also what they say about this idol. Verse 4, he took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What they're saying about these gods, these idols, is they did what actually the Lord did. They're ascribing to these gods the good thing, the rescue that God had done for them. And we can do something similar. What, what or who do you give credit to for the good things in your life? Very often it's ourselves, isn't it? We praise ourselves for what we've got in our lives. A bit later in the Old Testament, there's a king called Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. And at one point he is walking on the roof of his royal palace. And he says, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my might and for the glory of my majesty? And that's how we can be looking over our lives at times as well, isn't it? Isn't this the life I have built, what I have made, the good things I've done by my might and for my glory. And so we ascribe to ourselves or to other things what God has given to us and what God has done for us. So the first thing is to worship other gods. And we do that in lots of ways, replacing God with other things, ascribing to those other things what God has done for us and sacrificing to them what God has given to us. That's the first kind of way that we might commit idolatry worshipping other gods. But we also need to see the second kind of idolatry. And this, I think, can be quite surprising for us. Aaron, who is leading the people, announces in verse 5 something quite surprising. Did you see it? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. He says they're going to have a festival to the Lord. That is the God, the real God, the God who has rescued them. And so it seems like he is now saying this calf is the Lord. And yet, although he's saying now we're worshipping the Lord... They are making up how they're going to worship the Lord, aren't they? 
They're making it up for themselves in disobedience to the Lord's commandments because God said, don't have any other gods before me and don't make any images and don't bow down to them. But that is what they're doing, making a statue which the Lord had forbidden. And this festival involves, as you see, eating, end of verse 6, eating and drinking and indulging in revelry. I don't know what you think of when you think of revelry. Sounds to me like a sort of Shakespearean thing, isn't it? People in a pub, you know, tankards and singing. That's what comes to my mind. It, that's not what's going on here. This is an alcohol-fueled party, and probably the, the words there have a hint of um, that there is something sexual going on here. So this is a, a wild, drunken orgy. And they're saying, this is the festival to the Lord. Is this how the Lord said they should worship him? No. Are they worshipping the Lord? Are they worshipping the Lord? I mean, they say it's the Lord they're worshipping. But they're not, are they? They're not worshipping the Lord. Because they've rejected his word. He's told them how they should worship him. And actually, Moses, right at this moment, he's up on the mountain with the Lord telling him how they should worship him. But they're rejecting it all. They say, oh, we'll worship the Lord, but we'll do it our way. And we'll reject the word of the Lord. By contrast, the Lord is a speaking God. You see, they've made this idol and the beauty of worshipping an idol, a statue, is you can worship it however you want. You could worship this statue through, uh, through drinking, through sex. So, however, you know, what do you feel like doing? That's what you can do with an idol because an idol, a statue, can't talk, can it? can't tell you not to do this, can't tell you off, can't tell you that what you're doing is wrong, because a statue can't speak. But the Lord speaks. He is a speaking God. And just to underline this, the importance of the Word of God. A bit later on uh, in the Bible, in Deuteronomy, it emphasizes the fact when they were at the mountain, they did not see an image of God, but God spoke to them. And in the tabernacle, Moses is up the mountain at this moment being told how to make the tabernacle. Uh, and this is going to be central to their worship of the Lord. What's in the tabernacle? What's conspicuously not in the tabernacle? A statue. There's no statue of the Lord there, is there? But what is in the tabernacle? What's, to be, what's right at the center of it? At the center of it is going to be a box. And in that box, they are to place the tablets of the covenant. These are the tablets Moses is about to bring down the mountain. And it describes the tablets in verses 15 and 16. It says, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. 
You could, as it were, see these two things that are going on. You've got this statue that they're worshipping. Dumb statue, cannot speak. And Moses has got the word of God in his hands. Now, okay, he does break them, but they get replaced. At the center of the tabernacle is the word of God. How do you meet the Lord? It is in his word. Reject the word, and you're not worshipping the Lord, are you? Do you see that? That if you reject God's word, you're not actually worshipping the Lord. For instance, we know this is true with people as well, that if you reject their word, then, then you end up in all kinds of sort of silly situations. So for instance, let's say on the door, uh, I were to meet you, let's say we've never met before, and you introduced yourself and you said, hi, I'm, I'm Liz, and uh, I, uh, I'm, I grew up in Ghana, uh, I'm six foot tall, and I hate football. And I say, okay, I'll introduce you to someone else. And I say, this is Liz, uh, she grew up in Germany, she's five foot, and uh, she loves ice skating. You go, well, did I introduce Liz? I got the name right. Did I get anything else right? No. Was it Liz I was introducing? No. It was Liz I was misrepresenting. And actually, if you're misrepresented, seriously misrepresented, you get upset about that, don't you? I get upset about it. We get angry about it if we're misrepresented. So too with the Lord God. Just because we use the name of the Lord, if we make up what the Lord is like, if we reject his word for what he is like, it won't be the Lord we're worshipping, will it? It'll be the Lord we're misrepresenting. Now, how might we do this? Well, we do it when we pick and choose the bits of the Bible that we like, don't we? We do it when we say, well, I don't really like what God says about sex, say, or marriage. And so we chisel that bit off. And I don't like what he says about the way I should use my money, so, well, I'll chisel that bit off. And I, I, I suppose I like the bit about loving my neighbor, so, I, yeah, that's all right, I'll keep that bit. But the bit about forgiving others, well, I like that in principle, but not what that person did to me, because that's far too much. And so I'll chisel that bit off. And so I'm chiseling away, and I'm chiseling... <laughs> What am I chiseling? I'm, I'm chiseling a god for myself. It's like I'm making a Mr. Potato Head god, isn't it? You know, I choose the face I like, and I choose the bits that I like, and I choose the way I want God to... That's an idol, isn't it? And actually what we do, when we chisel like that and we shape God to be like that, we, we step back and then we look at it and we see, actually, this God looks a lot like me. If we worship God but reject his word, actually we end up worshipping an idol. So what is idolatry? Well, it is worshipping other gods, but also claiming to worship the Lord but rejecting his word. Now, you'll notice we've spent most of our time on that section. We're just going to briefly look at the other two sections. There's so much in this chapter to look at. So I'm sorry we can't go into it in, in greater detail. Let me just give you the, the other two things. I think it's really important that we understand what idolatry is, but we also need to see 
How does the Lord respond to it? And it's quite frightening, isn't it? Verses, nine, uh, verses 7 to 10 show us how the Lord responds. Particularly verses 9 and 10, the Lord says, I've seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, they're a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Their disobedience means the Lord is angry with them and he says he'll destroy them. God's anger is not like our anger. If you've seen a person be angry, it can be quite a frightening thing in that it can be uncontrolled, it can be unpredictable. That is not the way the Lord's anger is. But it is severe. He's ready to destroy the whole nation. And immediately we have a test, don't we? Are we going to listen to who God is and the way he reacts or are we going to chisel that bit away? No, we need to listen to who he is. Remember in, I think it's in Toy Story where Mr. Potato says he's going to put his angry eyes on. Do we actually want to say, I'm going to take the angry eyes away from God? I don't want him to be like that. No, God is angry here. And I can understand if you struggle with that. Some people will say God can't be angry, but of course if we say God can't be angry, then we're saying God can't be loving. Because love at times does demand anger, doesn't it? If a child is being mistreated, bullied or abused, you would expect that the parents would be angry. That's right. Well, if God is perfectly loving, he must be angry when those he loves are being mistreated as he looks at the world. It would be wrong if he wasn't angry, wouldn't it? And we've already said we hate it when people misrepresent us. Wouldn't it be right for God to be angry when he's misrepresented? Shouldn't he be angry when people make idols of him? But we have a bigger problem, which is the problem of where you and I are in this story. It's a game we often play when we look at Bible stories, isn't it? That we think, where am I in this? Which character am I? Because I want to know how to apply this to me, and that's not a bad thing to do. But we're likely to think, well, maybe I really want to be like Moses somehow. I want to be him. Learn from him. Be like him. But our problem is we're not him, are we? In all this, we're the Israelites. Because as we think about idolatry, what idolatry is, we all know, if we're honest, that's been us. Worshipping other gods, other things, or trying to worship the Lord and reject his word. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? That's us. This anger should be directed at us. How does the Lord respond? He's angry. That's the problem. We deserve that anger. But what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, the solution is a mediator. That's what Moses is in the rest of the chapter. We're going to whiz through this very quickly. So Moses comes down the mountain. Moses comes down the mountain and uh, comes to, sorry, he doesn't come down the mountain yet. We're not going through that quickly. First off, he's up the mountain. When the Lord says he's angry, he's going to wipe everyone out. Moses pleads with the Lord. Moses acts as a mediator. He represents the people to God. And in a moment, you'll see he represents God to the people. So he represents the people to God and he pleads with God and says, you know, don't be angry with them. Don't wipe them out, basically. 
And you could see, well, maybe the Lord has invited this. Because the Lord, when he says he's going to destroy them, he says, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn. Leave me alone, Moses. My anger will burn and I'll destroy them. God doesn't have to have Moses leave him alone. But he's saying, look, Moses, if you leave, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses goes, well, I'm not going to leave. And it seems like almost the Lord is inviting him to stay, to be this mediator. And Moses pleads with the Lord on the basis of several things. He says, Lord, they're your people. This is about your reputation and it's about your promises. Verse 13, just look down at that. He says, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. And then he quotes the Lord. Notice, the people have rejected the word of God. Moses is pleading on the basis of the word of God. He says, God, this is what you've promised. So keep your promise to these people. And the Lord is the one who has mostly been saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now Moses is quoting it back to him. He's saying, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Same person as Jacob. On the basis of your word, Lord, don't be angry and don't wipe them out. And the Lord relents. So Moses goes down the mountain and he doesn't then say to the people, guys, we're all right. We're off the hook. Everything's all right. No, he then represents the Lord to the people. He's angry with them. You see it in verse 19. When he sees what's going on, he is angry, which relates back to verse 10, where the Lord was angry. You go, actually, Moses is reacting as God reacts. So Moses represents the people to God, but also God to the people. And he gets rid of the idols. He destroys the idol, makes them eat, drink it. And then you get this moment where he says, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. The Levites go to him. And he says, strap a sword sword to your side and go through the camp, killing people. And 3,000 people are killed. What are we to make of that? Well, we're too late in the sermon. Okay, no, maybe we better just touch on it. First off, notice uh, it is the Lord's command that they do this. Verse 27. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. They're to go through the camp and kill people. And that is hard to take on board, isn't it? That is hard. But the thing that struck me as I was preparing was it's, it's not as bad as God had said he was going to do. It's not as bad as he'd said in verse 10, is it? He was going to kill them all. saying that's what they deserve. And Moses, at this point, is representing God to the people, and they need to see this is deadly serious. Idolatry is not an okay thing to do. And that's all I'm going to say on that. You've probably got a whole load more questions, but actually what we need to see is how serious idolatry is, how horrifying it is, and that this is what it deserves. Moses is the mediator, representing the people to God, but also God to the people. And then he says, but there's one thing that Moses can't do. Did you spot there was one thing he can't do? Right at the end. He says, verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. He knows it's not been dealt with. The sin of the people is still against them. And he says, I'll I'll go and try and sort things out with the Lord. So he goes up the mountain. And this is staggering what he says. He says to the Lord, verse 31, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. 
But if not, then blot me out of your book, out of the book you have written. What an incredible thing for Moses to say. He says, Lord, they've sinned. They deserve to be wiped out. Forgive them. If not, take me. And the Lord says no, basically. Verse 33, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go. He says, no, you can't do that, Moses. I can't take you for them. But Moses prepares the way, doesn't he? Moses here is standing, it's like a stand-in on a film set. Apparently you get them on a film set uh, while the star is off in their trailer getting the makeup done and all that kind of thing. A stand-in will stand in so that you can get all the lights in the right place and they've got to be the right sort of size and they got, you know, the camera's in the right direction. So they stand in and Moses is doing that. He's standing in ready for the real star to appear, ready for Jesus to come. And it would take hundreds of years, but Jesus will come, and he will be the perfect mediator. He came as the perfect mediator. Being fully man, he could represent us to God. Being fully God, he perfectly reveals God to us, and he could be the one who could make atonement for you and me. And when he died on the cross, that's what he was doing. He was saying, me for them me for you, so that our idolatry, our false worship, our worship of other things can be forgiven. And it says in 1 Peter 3, doesn't it, that Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, that you and I could be forgiven. Here's the solution for idolatry, it's the mediator, Jesus Christ, dying in our place, so we could be forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that though this chapter is a frightening chapter, causes us many questions, yet, Father, please would you help us to see our sin, see our idolatry, see how bad it is, See your reaction to it, your response to it, your anger towards us, and yet fill our hearts with joy that the mediator, the one Moses pointed to, came, that Jesus died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to you. Amen.